Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Chapter 18 of Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. Music! It's uh, it's now summer is official. It is now December. Uh, it did start a little early this year, but we're now in the thick of it, and we're still remote recording because of the global pandemic. So instead of being able to um, enjoy Rue's wonderful air conditioning, we are both in our own little uh, humid hovels, <laughs> doing our best. <laughs> to uh, bring forth more literature, joy, and happiness, and discussion. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we're still acting out of an abundance of caution. However, it's, um, our global test numbers have been dropping in many places, which is not, not the wisest um, thing. Because so far the lesson has been every time the test numbers drop and people start becoming more lax in their interactions, of course, test numbers means case numbers on paper drop. Um, what happens is our hospital systems suddenly become inundated. Um, because the cases come out of nowhere and suddenly you, you, yeah, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's that we haven't been measuring it. It's like, it's, it's not good. Um, and so those of us where we are high risk are not taking those risks um, as much as possible. Mm. Um, and we, we, we hope that people within our bubble also don't take those risks, but we cannot be unfortunately assured of that. And there have been some stories coming out of many countries in the world mm. where it's indicated that bubble only works as much as you can trust an individual yeah and um yeah it's it, it's very difficult um the physical distancing is is crucial at this point in time and also not behaving as though there isn't a deadly virus out there or a potentially very harmful even if it doesn't it isn't deadly for all individuals it's got a it's not great um mm. It gets complicated because people then go, oh, but it's only got, there's only this death rate and whatever. You're going, well, the problem is not that. The problem is it is, it has a higher death rate depending on the population you are in. And also it's the percentage of death um, in relation to the infection rate. And we don't really know the long-term effects of people oh, who survive. No. We don't, and we're already getting inklings. I think at the begin, at the end of, because um, we were this bro was an outbreak that happened in nineteen. Uh, sorry, where we were reading um, Brave New World, and I pointed out then the post-viral effects are something that concerns me a lot. Yes, obviously death, obviously the morbid, the direct effects. Yes, but the 
the long-term effects worried me more um, because of the news that was slowly trickling out. And then we've we've been seeing that increasingly now. Now studies are coming out, cases are coming out, patients are having long-term effects. People are not recovering. Um, a large proportion of people are not recovering as they should. Mm. Um, well, as they should. A large proportion of people are not recovering. We don't know what they should or shouldn't because mm. it's a novel virus. It's just literally a thing. Um, it's the same way that some people, when they get glandular fever, just it's just a bad cold for maybe a week and then they're fine. But many people who get glandular fever have long-term issues where it comes like the vir the viral um, behavior is not as one would expect the immune system flares up there's long-term fatigue issues there's long-term neuro issues there's long-term consequences same with Epstein-Barr and other um, viruses so we have this um, we know this happens with some viruses and that's a problem same way we know that chickenpox and measles and all those those quote unquote childhood viruses can cause long term issues, uh, ranging from sterility to um, brain damage. Like you, you don't know, making you more vulnerable to things, and we don't like that because, um, especially with something that is spreading very fast, it's kind of scary. It, it we don't like it. It's not sc okay. Scary is the wrong word. It's it's. So when you are being cautious, you aren't being paranoid, you are being appropriately cautious because this is an unknown and we just haven't got um, the, the attitudes in society are understandable, why people get tired of it, why people get like, I mean, if you've been locked down for so long and you're also not used to being isolated at that level, um, it has it has effects and you, you start not being conscious of um, your your sense of risk that is never generally very good tends to become distorted. Um, so yeah, that's I, I'm concerned. I have some concerns, and I'm gonna say now I would not be surprised if within a month or two we don't suddenly have a giant spike of numbers and our hospital system becomes severely affected. Well. Um Months ago, kind of when we were more in it, I was talking to someone else and we both theorized that Christmas is going to be the big problem because people yep. are likely going to ignore uh, suggestions to keep away from large groups of people and they're going to see their families and there's going to be a huge uptick, kind of like what the U.S. saw with Thanksgiving this year. Yeah. Well, we already know that if you are careful with your travel... Um, it's still a risk. Mm. Um, the issue is uh, vi people visiting family in with an abundance of precaution. It can be okay, but not in the scale. Like, how would you decide who does and doesn't get to visit their family? Mm. And that's the problem. It's not that we can't see people, we can't visit people. I mean, we should reduce that unless it's absolutely necessary. Like, say you have um, family that you're not sure you'll be able to see. Again, it, as long as you are actually engaging in precautions, like physically distancing, as opposed to seeing them at the airport and immediately embracing them in a hug, hmm. maybe don't do that as much as you want to. 
it's not wise. Mm. Um, travel plans should integrate a two-week buffer if you can. If you can't, I mean, would you want to be responsible for the death of your family members? That's essentially as blunt as I'm going to put it. Mm. Do you want to be the person who kills your family? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who do, and that's that's something between them and the psychiatrist that they may need to consider. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, it's it's usually not the, uh, the purview of a healthy mind. Yes, most people wouldn't want that kind of responsibility um, or that kind of consequence to their, their actions. And because we are, as said, we've said this before, we really stink at making appropriate assessment of risk. Mm. Um, and that on, on the grand, the vast majority, there are many people who I'm sure have this skill, but most people do not. And as an average population skill, it is not good. Um, so yes, I am a little concerned. I am a bit stressed about things. I am trying to very cautiously increase some of my interaction, but mm. at the same time, knowing that the testing numbers are so low, well, I, I mean, me less interest. Yeah. You've pretty much been quarantining since March, right? Yeah, I've rarely. I've gone out to doctors. Um, I went to I think two or three social gatherings since March, and even with those social gatherings, it had to be a place where there was physical distance, um, and windows. Like the there had to be good ventilation. Um, and usually they were people who already were, uh, mm. they themselves were being cautious due to their health risks. Um, so yes, it's been one of those, those things. Uh, one thing that has come up is that I'm aware, um, so more and more research is coming out. I don't know if I mentioned this to you or the podcast, but the, we were looking at some of the behavior of how this virus works on people. And in terms of the people who have long-term consequence, uh, long-term um, effects, but also people with severe presentation or how the virus seems to behave. Um, myself and some other research patients, so patients who, who are also researchers or patient researchers, we were noticing that it's behaving like, um, the conditions that we were already familiar with were it, it, that it seems to be triggering um, a mast cell response and mast cells are just, I, 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 I find mast cells are involved in almost everything in the human body, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, but there are ways to address that. And that's why doctors and the, the treatment tech, uh, approaches seem to be slowly integrating this as well. And so there are management approaches improving, but still it is, is a very high risk virus. Like even though there are treatments and therapeutics that are improving our survival rates and our long-term effects rates and all that, uh, I would still avoid the hell. I would still avoid the heck out of this virus. That is, that is my, my suggestion. Um, now... If I were to ask what mast cells are, could you give me a uh, explanation that wouldn't take the remainder of the podcast? Yes, <laughs> mast cells are an immune system cell that are um, generally associated with, like, the main thing that we recognize them from in in health and in in science tends to be allergies. But it turns out they are 
probably more than that. They are they use similar um, so histamine. Everyone knows what an antihistamine is, right? So antihistamines were used to reduce the effect of histamine, which is one of the messengers that that um, is released by the immune system in response to whatever it decides to recognize as a foreign body that something's wrong, and that's the thing that makes things. Um, we get increased blood flow to a location, so you go red. Yes. You get mm -hmm. swelling, again, blood flow, lymph flow. There's fluids that go to that area to actually bring in the other cells to come and remove the, the foreign body that's bad that needs to go, right? Mm. Very simplified. Um, but mast cells are very are known for releasing large amounts of this when they recognize something is is um, is a foreign body or something is doesn't belong. So they're, they're like a heavy hitter of the immune system. They are a heavy hitter, but they also tend, they can uh, be involved in um, a few other things, including the th the messages, the messaging proteins or the things that they shoot out, the messages, just imagine messages. So they send out messages out there to the cells and the tissue, and it can, they can change the behavior of the tissue. Uh, particularly, they seem to make things more... Um, so, so, for example, with the swelling, the idea is that you, these cells go are there and they're trying to make this zone of the body that needs to be treated or affected or engaged with. They increase the permeability of tissue so that more fluids go there or other cells are recruited or like they, they coordinate a lot of this. There are other cells that are also that do this kind of coordination, but they are very uh, ubiquitous uh, coordinators. So that means they're in almost every system, they are involved somehow, or at least there's studies or data showing that they are almost in all forms of tissue and involved in it. And we need a certain amount of coordination by the immune system. We think of the nervous system as coordinating everything. It's actually more complicated than that. It's a combination of our nervous system and our immune system that allows for communication to occur within the, our body and the different tissues. So there's this this it's a complex coordinator and also pretty damn um frustrating when these cells just keep shouting up the high from the high hills that something is wrong you are in a state of alarm which is why these cells are also very heavily involved in uh, the pathology or the presentation of a lot of neuropsychiatric disorders so a lot of people with um so a lot of things like valium Valium or other similar medications like that happen to also inhibit these cells. Okay. So it's 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 interesting because that's why when someone has an um, say someone goes into anaphylaxis, one of the symptoms that can arise doesn't always again all these things is always they can they don't always have to but they can. One of the classical kind of presentations is that someone feels like they're about to die. They have a, a feeling of impending doom. That's literally a symptom for a couple of things, but including anaphylaxis. So these cells, when they're out of order, they can actually trigger off um, emotional presentation or behavioral presentation that looks like anxiety and stuff. So it's, they, they, are, they are complex, fascinating cells that are almost everywhere, which is why whenever I talk to a clinician or a researcher, I always tend to go, so how could mast cells fit into this equation? Because they almost always do. So, um, so yeah, it, it yeah. sounds like they are an early warning system, but maybe yeah. they get a little too uh, over enthusiastic about what constitutes yeah. a threat. They are they are very a very um, 
some someone's going to get grumpy at me for this, but it doesn't matter. I, the way that I see it is, I see them as the very primitive immune response. Right. Like they are the sentinels that kind of float around in your system, and they notice things, they set things into motion. They can react to pressure, as in, if you, um, if you, for example, wear a bandage really tight. Some people can't handle that, and they they you know they end up with that itchy rash almost. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a pressure reaction, or you know that when people can write on their skin, the dermatographia, that that's also a sign that that's from the mast cells usually when they're hyperactive or they're right. excessively active. Um, so these little things like that, they can be indicators or tiny little red flags that if you have a whole bunch of this going on, um, you might be either you might have been exposed to a virus that has heightened your immune response, which happens. Um, or it could be uh, your dietary intake. You have too low vitamin D. These cells will also get tetchy. <laughs> I can't think of right. a better word. They get they get a little... Cause, and that's generally your immune system is more prone to anaphylaxis if you have chronic um, vitamin D uh, deficiency. Things like that. So when things are out of balance... Or they can cause things to go out of balance. So it's it's there's genetics, there's environment, it's messy. But in this particular virus's case, the COVID virus, that seems to be one of the ways it is causing major issues, uh, which is it's it's through these cells, because these cells are seeing it as a threat and they are reacting, and it is it is not a good party, and we don't want to be there. So the long term effects are not good. Okay. But yep. moving on to uh, greener pastures, uh, yes. pastures that involve an abbey, because yes. in the last chapter of our book, we finally got the title. Yes. Now we finally have Northanger Abbey involved. Um, so we're, yeah, we're so, not there yeah. yet. We're not no, there but yet. We're getting but, there. Uh, Catherine was invited to the home of the uh, Tilneys. Yes. And it, it's a, a, a grand honor. However, the way it was phrased was interesting because... Um, yeah, the general was kind of a little too... Um, what's a good word to put it? Uh, it's not that he was being insincere, but he seemed to be laying it on thick. Yeah, like that. he kept saying, I'm sure it's not what you're used to, and but, you know, hopefully we can make do, and like, kept speaking like that. Yes, yes, yes. And now we will find out how Isabella and uh, all of them will react. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if we I'm, also, I'm, yeah. I'm going to yeah. predict not well. Yeah, well, also remember last episode, there was that whole financial thing mm -hmm. with the the there seems to be a miscommunication or a misunderstanding as to what the financial capabilities of of uh, the Thorpes not the Thorpes uh, the financial capabilities of um, the Moreland family mm. amongst the Thorpes they are a little confused apparently because they don't listen that's why well they like to project their own reality onto people that seems to be part of it. So, chapter 18, ready to roll. With a mind thus full of happiness, Catherine was hardly aware that two or three days had passed away without her seeing Isabella for more than a few minutes together. She began first to be sensible of this and to sigh for her conversation as she walked along the pump room one morning by Mrs. Allen's side without anything to say or hear, 
and scarcely had she felt a five minutes longing of friendship before the object of it appeared, and inviting her to a secret conference led the way to a seat. "'This is my favourite place,' said she, as they sat down on a bench between the doors, which commanded a tolerable view of everybody entering at either. "'It is so out of the way.' Catherine, observing that Isabella's eyes were continually bent towards one door or the other, as in eager expectation, and remembering how often she had been falsely accused of being arch, thought the present a fine opportunity for being really so, and therefore gaily said, "'Do not be uneasy, Isabella. James will soon be here.' "'Sha, my dear creature,' she replied, "'do you not think of me as such a simpleton as to be always wanting to confine him to my elbow? It would be hideous to be always together. We should be the jest of the place.' "'And so you are going to Northanger. "'I am amazingly glad of it. "'It is one of the finest old places in England, I understand. "'I shall depend upon a most particular description of it. "'You shall certainly have the best in my power to give. "'But who are you looking for? "'Are your sisters coming?' "'I am not looking for anybody. "'One's eyes must be somewhere, "'and you know what a foolish trick I have of fixing mine "'when my thoughts are an hundred miles off. "'I am amazingly absent.' I believe I am the most absent creature in the world. Tilney says it is always the case with minds of a certain stamp. But I thought, Isabella, you had something in particular to tell me. Oh, yes, and so I have. But here is a proof of what I was saying. My poor head, I had quite forgot it. Well, the thing is this. I have just had a letter from John. You can guess the contents. No, indeed, I cannot. "'Oh, my sweet love, do not be so abominably affected. "'What can he write about but yourself? "'You know he is head over heels in love with you. Yeah. "'With me? Yeah. "'With me, dear Isabella? "'Nay, my sweetest Catherine, this is being quite absurd. "'Modesty and all that is very well in its way, "'but really a little common honesty is sometimes quite as becoming. "'I have no idea of being so overstrained. "'It is fishing for compliments.' His attentions were such as a child must have noticed, and was but half an hour ago before he left Bath that you gave him the most positive encouragement. <sighs> he says so in this letter, says that he as good as made you an offer, and that you received his advances in the kindest way, and now he wants me to urge his suit, and say all manner of pretty things to you. So it is in vain to affect ignorance. <sighs> Catherine, with all the earnestness of truth, expressed her astonishment at such a charge, protesting her innocence of every thought of Mr. Thorpe's being in love with her, and the consequent impossibility of her having ever intended to encourage him. As to any attentions on his side, I do declare upon my honour, I never was sensible of them for a moment, except just his asking me to dance on the first day of his coming, and as to making me an offer or anything like it, there must be some unaccountable mistake. I could not have misunderstood a thing of that kind, you know. And— as I ever wish to be believed, I solemnly protest that no syllable of such a nature ever passed between us. The last half-hour before he went away, it must be all and completely a mistake, for I did not see him once that whole morning. But you certainly did. You spent the whole morning in Edgar's buildings. It was the day your father's consent came, and I am pretty sure that you and John were alone in the parlour some time before you left the house. Are you? Well, if you say it, it was so, I dare say. But, for the life of me, I cannot recollect it. I do remember now being with you and seeing him as well as the rest, but that we were ever alone for five minutes. However, it is not worth arguing about, for
for whatever might pass on his side, you must be convinced, by my having no recollection of it, that I never thought, nor expected, nor wished for anything of the kind from him. I am excessively concerned that he should have any regard for me, but indeed it has been quite unintentional on my side. I never had the smallest idea of it. Pray, undeceive him as soon as you can, and tell him I beg his pardon. That is, I do not know what I ought to say, but make him understand what I mean, in the properest way. I would not speak disrespectfully of a brother of yours, Isabella, I am sure, but you know very well that if I could think of one man more than another, he is not the person. Isabella was silent. My dear friend, you must not be angry with me. I cannot suppose your brother cares so very much about me, and, you know, we shall still be sisters. Yes, yes, with a blush. There are more ways than one of our being sisters, but where am I wandering to? Well, my dear Catherine, the case seems to be that you are determined against poor John, is not it so? I certainly cannot return his affection, and as certainly never meant to encourage it. Since that is the case, I am sure I shall not tease you any further. John desired me to speak to you on the subject, and therefore I have. But I confess, as soon as I read his letter, I thought it a very foolish, imprudent business, and not likely to promote the good of either. For... <laughs> For what were you to live upon, supposing you came together? You have both of you something, to be sure, but it is not a trifle that will support a family nowadays, and after all that, romances may say, there is no doing without money. I only wonder John could think of it. He could not have received my last. You do acquit me, then, of anything wrong? You are convinced that I never meant to deceive your brother, never suspected him of liking me till this moment." "'Oh, as to that,' answered Isabella laughingly, "'I do not pretend to determine what your thoughts and designs in time past may have been. "'All that is best known to yourself. "'A little harmless flirtation, or so, will occur, "'and one is often drawn on to give more encouragement than one wishes to stand by. "'But you may be assured that I am the last person in the world to judge you severely. "'All those things should be allowed for in youth and high spirits. "'What one means one day, you know, one may not mean the next.' "'Circumstances change. Opinions alter. But my opinion of your brother never did alter. It was always the same. You were describing what never happened.' "'My dearest Catherine,' continued the other, without at all listening to her, "'I would not, for all the world, be the means of hurrying you into an engagement before you knew what you were about.' I do not think anything would justify me in wishing you to sacrifice your happiness merely to oblige my brother, because he is my brother, and who perhaps, after all, you know, might be just as happy without you, for people seldom know what they would be at, young men especially. They are so amazingly changeable and inconstant. What I say is why should a brother's happiness be dearer to me than a friend's? You know I carry my notions of friendship pretty high. But, above all things, my dear Catherine, do not be in a hurry. Take my word for it, that if you are in too great a hurry, you will certainly live to repent it. Tilney says, there is nothing people are so often deceived in as the state of their own affections, and I believe he is right. Ah, there he comes. Never mind, he will not see us, I am sure. Catherine, looking up, perceived Captain Tilney, and Isabella, fixing her eye on him as she spoke, soon caught his notice. He approached immediately and took the seat to which her movements invited him. His first address made Catherine start, and though spoken low, she could distinguish. What? Always to be watched, in person or by proxy. Sha nonsense, was Isabella's answer in the same half-whisper. Why do you put such things into my head? If I could believe it, my spirit, you know, is pretty independent. 
I wish your heart were independent. That would be enough for me. My heart, indeed. What can you have to do with hearts? You men have none of you any hearts. If we have not hearts, we have eyes, and they give us torment enough. Do they? I am sorry for it. I am sorry they find anything so disagreeable in me. I will look another way. I hope this pleases you. Turning her back on him, I hope your eyes are not tormented now. Never more so, for the edge of a blooming cheek is still in view, at once too much and too little. Catherine heard all this, and quite out of countenance, could listen no longer. Amazed that Isabella could endure it, and jealous for her brother, she rose up, and saying she should join Mrs. Allen, proposed their walking. But for this Isabella showed no inclination. She was so amazingly tired, and it was so odious to parade about the pump-room, and if she moved from her seat she should miss her sisters. She was expecting her sisters every moment, so that her dearest Catherine must excuse her, and must sit quietly down again. But Catherine could be stubborn, too. And Mrs. Allen, just then, coming up to propose their returning home, she joined her and walked out of the pump-room, leaving Isabella still sitting with Captain Tilney. With much uneasiness did she thus leave them. It seemed to her that Captain Tilney was falling in love with Isabella, and Isabella unconsciously encouraging him. Unconsciously it must be, for Isabella's attachment to James was as certain and well acknowledged as her engagement. To doubt her truth or good intentions was impossible. And yet, during the whole of their conversation, her manner had been odd. She wished Isabella had talked more like her usual self, and not so much about money, and had not looked so well pleased at the sight of Captain Tilney. How strange that she should not perceive his admiration! Catherine longed to give her a hint of it, to put her on her guard, to prevent her all the pain which her too lively behaviour might otherwise create for both him and her brother. The compliment of John Thorpe's affection did not make amends for this thoughtlessness in his sister. She was almost as far from believing as from wishing it to be sincere, for she had not forgotten that he could mistake, and his assertion of the offer and of her encouragement convinced her that his mistakes could sometimes be very egregious. In vanity, therefore, she gained but little. Her chief profit was in wonder. That he should think it worth his while to fancy himself in love with her was a matter of lively astonishment. Isabella talked of his intentions. She had never been sensible of any, but Isabella had said many things which she hoped had been spoken in haste, and would never be said again, and upon this she was glad to rest altogether for present ease and comfort. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had reactions to that chapter. Yes. Hmm. Pray tell. Oh, you probably heard me as you were reading. <laughs> yes. uh, mo mostly due to Isabella's speech, but actually, no, no. The majority was to John writing a letter about his love for Catherine, and and how how he made an offer, and she seemed very positive about it. And I remember you saying back when they had that conversation, oh, he. He's going to misinterpret this, I'm like, uh, probably. Well, he also thinks that she's been encouraging him this entire time and fancies mm. himself in love with her. B because she talked to him. Yeah. And she didn't punch him, I think. That's, I think <laughs> that would improve a lot of this um, if he was just, yeah, if, if, if they just poked them with the sharp hat pin. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, he's the, also Isabella noticed how she's talking about mm-hmm. money and wealth, and even Catherine's disturbed by that. Yeah, and and also thinks that um, you know Catherine uh, not having any interest in James is a current just like of the moment idea and she has been leading him on this whole time because that's what Isabella would do. James James is James John, more sorry. like John. So yeah. yeah. Yes. He, I even mean, I'm getting confused with those two. Well they're hard to remember. But yes, so the, yes, so you've got this whole thing where when she's saying, "Oh well, no, you it, it, it's natural. You must have just changed your mind. It's what people do. It's normal." Um I mean it says a lot more about her than it does about and how she perceives things in Catherine yeah. it does about yeah oh yeah Catherine tried to push it she's like no please uh, believe me I never had such thoughts ever and yeah. Isabella didn't wasn't listening to her at all or at least Catherine got the uh, idea that she wasn't being listened to yeah there was definitely um, some issues and the fact that Mr Tilney Captain Tilney rocked up about then yeah that that's making me really go i mean i already had a pretty low opinion of isabella based on everything we've read so far but um her flirting with captain tilney so openly is pretty deplorable yeah right next to her future sister-in-law yeah yeah but notice how catherine good-hearted be she um has just gone oh it mustn't be intentional like (laughs) She wouldn't. She's engaged. So why would she? Like, let, let us go. And she's like, no, no, I'm tired, and I need to wait till my sisters are there. And yeah, all sorts of reasons to spend more time with Captain Tilly on her own. And it's Just... funny because I got confused by it as well when she said, you know, oh, there's uh, Mister Tilly now, and evidently she sat there so she could see him enter. And Catherine perked up because we all thought it would be Henry. And then it turns out to be Henry's brother walks in. And suddenly Isabella is really happy. And she's like, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Notice how many times she mentioned Mr. Tilney. Mm. She doesn't say Mr. Tilney. She says Tilney often says. As Tilney says. Yes, because I was also in the back of my mind. I'm like, but when would Henry ever want to talk to her? Well, remember she danced with the brother. Hmm. Yeah, no, I completely forgotten about the brother. <laughs> yeah, she danced with her. Um, and also, that, that also shocked Catherine. Mm. Catherine was surprised that she would dance with her, but, to, oh, he must have been. And Miss, Mr. Tillis, so Henry kind of said, well, I'm not surprised that my brother would push for it. He would actually insist and push until she does. Um, but he's trying to also be polite and not imply that, that um, Isabella is the kind of person who would say yes. Mm. So that's why uh, Henry mentioned you see the best in people. And that's very commendable. But there's also the little thing when you're talking about her talking about money. um, The fact that one of the reasons uh, Isabella said, of course, you getting together with John would be ridiculous is because you both come with nothing. And she now says that because she realizes that her engagement to James means she's not going to be wealthy. But yeah. um, that's obviously the other reason why she's latched on to a Tilney. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of little things that are going on here. And as far as we know, she is still engaged to, to James. The problem is that, yes, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how things go. So dear listeners, um, 
We we could can we fit another chapter in? Oh yeah. Okay. So we will be squeezing in another chapter, but also um, the squeaking you hear in the background once in a while—that's mainly our lorikeets, the local rainbow lorikeets. So just actually, a nod. Well, let me talk about that. I'm I'm unsure these ones are lorikeets. Basically, I I actually can't remember if I brought it up last year, but we've got this giant tree in our backyard, mm. and um, there's certain for a couple of weeks last uh, summer spring to summer kind of i guess the the mating season um it basically a non-stop orgy or rave or party or however you want to put it is going on in that tree during the day the birds are just going nuts in it and then at night the flying foxes the bats are even louder <laughs> you've got a club at each other <laughs> You've got the tree club next door. <laughs> Pretty much, so much so. My my roommate last night and this morning has been talking about looking into removing the tree. <laughs> no, they're also baby birdies. They're baby birds. They're very cute. They're I'm very like, noisy. Well, they're very well cute. maybe we can spray it. Hmm? You know, to get rid of noise. Uh, luckily, it is only a couple weeks out of the year, but it but it does make sleep and trying to do anything during the day a little more troublesome than it normally is. And, and this is on top of everything getting hotter and um, the painting that's been going on, which is stopping us to record. And if you hear a vroom in the background, the gardener is probably using his leaf blower. <laughs> so. it's, just, it's just too much going on. <laughs> we, um, but yes. <laughs> one day we will have be able to afford a studio. And, uh, this will be a, a thing of the past. But um, trying, trying to record around the noise of life is um, often a difficulty. I, I, I'm... I'm sure you, you folks can sympathize just even if you're not recording, you know, you have a day off and then suddenly a neighbor is mowing his lawn or, <laughs> or, or dog, a dog barks at anyone who walks past. Uh, that's frustrating. Um, yes, peace and quiet is a, is a, uh, is a myth. I, I don't think it's a thing. I've, I've hit that point. That's why noise cancelling headphones by you know so see that that would have been a great time to inject a sponsor if we were sponsored which we are not but there we go our sponsors at sound cancelling headphones <laughs> for, for, for name brand noise cancelling headphones go to this website that does like, not exist do you suffer from an environment that is incredibly loud consider the following sound dampening tools by you know i was thinking the other night as i was trying to sleep in the humidity and the bats were going nuts wouldn't it be cool if i mean it would probably be a very expensive purchase but like you could get a sleep pod where it's like it's got a really good mattress in it and like it closes on you and it keeps a nice cool temperature it's noise can't get in maybe the thing actually wakes you up like the full thing's an alarm or and it would just make every sleep just wonderful. You'd have complete, like, uh, mm -hmm. black and quiet and... So, patent pending, except for the fact that capsule hotels probably already have this. But yes, a capsule hotel, but in your room. I was thinking of uh, capsule hotels. I was also thinking that one of the uh, problems of it might be, like, you'd have to have it somehow, like, wirelessly connected to your fire alarm. So if there ever was a fire, you, you'd be aware of it. Yes, yes. As long as the fire didn't start from the wireless. I mean, there's, there, there, are, there are issues with this. Someone else can work this out and get in touch with us. And um, if, if you are an engineer and this is something you then create, please just give us a nod or acknowledgement that you heard this idea first on So Many Books, So Little Time. Or link us if you see it existing somewhere. Because, <laughs> you know, I think 
we're interested. Um. Here, here, here's a freebie as well. Well, now that we're on this uh, this conversation path, uh, I think when I was about twelve, I thought the the idea that you could, um, you know, attach uh, probes to your brain to be able to record uh, the the brain waves while you were dreaming, and then you could somehow convert that into binary and just be able to like put that on a VHS cassette <laughs> and be able to see your dreams. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Recording our dreams. Or at least saying them out loud. <laughs> or at least saying them out loud and then recording them. But yes, no, be good. But, I mean, but no, they no, boil- no, no, yeah. me saying that is more the ridiculousness of thinking, oh yeah, you just record the brainwaves and you convert them into binary and that will change into a picture once you put it into a video format. <laughs> that might be a fun thing as an art project to see what happens when you take brainwaves and convert them into... Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, so yes, hmm. But yes, so so we are concerned because Isabella is behaving, and Catherine is concerned because Isabella is, she's speaking funny, she's behaving strange. This isn't normal, but I'm sure she's she's doing it unconsciously. It can't be deliberate. No, no, no. And <laughs> the arrested development narrator, she was doing it deliberately. Yeah, and and you have the bit where she's like with John Thorpe. I mean, she was shocked and surprised. But not surprised that he made a mistake, so that she can explain why John Thorpe did what he did, because she's witnessed him making mistakes before. Well, you know, and a pastime of that family is to cut each other down. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> chapter 19. A few days passed away, and Catherine, though not allowing herself to suspect a friend, could not help watching her closely. The result of her observations was not agreeable. Isabella seemed an altered creature. When she saw her, indeed, surrounded only by their immediate friends in Edgar's buildings or Pulteney Street, her change of manners was so trifling that it had gone no further it might have passed unnoticed. Something of a languid indifference, or of that boasted absence of mind which Catherine had never heard of before, would occasionally come across her. But had nothing worse appeared, that might only have spread a new grace and inspired a warmer interest." But when Catherine saw her in public, admitting Captain Tilney's attentions as readily as they were offered, and allowing him an almost equal share with James in her notice and smiles, the alteration became too positive to be passed over. What could be meant by such unsteady conduct, what her friend could be at, was beyond her comprehension. Isabella could not be aware of the pain she was inflicting, but it was a degree of willful thoughtlessness which Catherine could not but resent. James was the sufferer. She saw him grave and uneasy, and, however careless of his present comfort the woman might be, who had given him her heart, to her it was always an object. For poor Captain Tilney, too, she was greatly concerned. Though his looks did not please her, his name was a passport to her good will, and she thought with sincere compassion of his approaching disappointment. For, in spite of what she had believed herself to overhear in the pump-room, his behaviour was so incompatible with the knowledge of Isabella's engagement that she could not, upon reflection, imagine him aware of it. He might be jealous of her brother as a rival, but if more had seemed implied, the fault must have been in her misapprehension. She wished, by a gentle remonstrance, to remind Isabella of her situation, and make her aware of this double unkindness. But, for remonstrance, either opportunity or comprehension was always against her. If able to suggest a hint, Isabella could never understand it. 
In this distress, the intended departure of the Tilney family became her chief consolation. Their journey into Gloucestershire was to take place within a few days, and Captain Tilney's removal would at least restore peace to every heart but his own. But Captain Tilney had, at present, no intention of removing. He was not to be of the party's Northanger. He was to continue at Bath. When Catherine knew this, her resolution was directly made. She spoke to Henry Tilney on the subject, regretting his brother's evident partiality for Miss Thorpe, and entreating him to make known her prior engagement. "'My brother does know it,' was Henry's answer. "'Does he? Then why does he stay here?' He made no reply, and was beginning to talk of something else, but she eagerly continued. "'Why do you not persuade him to go away? The longer he stays, the worse it will be for him at last.' Pray advise him for his own sake and for everybody's sake to leave Bath directly. Absence will in time make him comfortable again. But he can have no hope here, and it is only staying to be miserable. Henry smiled and said, I am sure my brother would not wish to do that. Then will you persuade him to go away? Persuasion is not at command, but pardon me if I cannot even endeavour to persuade him. I have myself told him that Miss Thorpe is engaged. He knows what he is about, and must be his own master. No, he does not know what he is about. He does not know the pain he is giving my brother. Not that James has ever told me so, but I am sure he is very uncomfortable. And are you sure it is my brother's doing? Yes, very sure. Is it my brother's attention to Miss Thorpe, or Miss Thorpe's admission of them, that gives the pain? Is it not the same thing? I think Mr. Morland would acknowledge a difference. No man is offended by another man's admiration of the woman he loves. It is the woman only who can make it a torment. Oof. Yep, he's not wrong. Catherine blushed for her friend and said, Isabella is wrong, but I am sure she cannot mean to torment, for she is very much attached to my brother. She has been in love with him ever since they first met. And, while my father's consent was uncertain, she fretted herself almost into a fever. You know how she must be attached to him. I understand. She is in love with James, and flirts with Frederick. Oh, no, not flirts. A woman in love with one man cannot flirt with another. Ah, oh, Catherine. <laughs> yes, she's a little naive. It is probable that she will neither love so well, nor flirt so well, as she might do either singly. The gentlemen must each give up a little. After a short pause, Catherine resumed with, Then do you not believe Isabella is so very much attached to my brother? I can have no opinion on that subject. But what can your brother mean? If he knows her engagement, what can he mean by his behaviour? You are a very close questioner. Am I? I only ask what I want to be told. But do you only ask what I can be expected to tell? Yes, I think so, for you must know your brother's heart. My brother's heart, as you term it on the present occasion, I assure you I can only guess at. Well? Well, nay, if it is to be guesswork, let us all guess for ourselves. To be guided by second-hand conjecture is pitiful. The premises are before you. My brother is a lively and perhaps sometimes a thoughtless young man. He has had about a week's acquaintance with your friend, and he has known her engagement almost as long as he has known her. Well, said Catherine, after some moments' consideration, you may well be able to guess at your brother's intentions from all this, but I am sure I cannot. 
But is not your father uncomfortable about it? Does he not want Captain Tilney to go away? Sure, if your father were to speak to him, he would go. My dear Miss Morland, said Henry, in this amicable solicitude for your brother's comfort, may you not be a little mistaken? Are you not carried a little too far? Would he thank you, either on his own account or Miss Thorpe's, for supposing that her affection, or at least her good behaviour, is only to be secured by her seeing nothing of Captain Tilney? Is he safe only in solitude, or is her heart constant to him only when unsolicited by any one else? He cannot think this, and you may be sure that he would not have you think it. I will not say, do not be uneasy, because I know that you are so at this moment. But be as little uneasy as you can. You have no doubt of the mutual attachment of your brother and your friend. Depend upon it, therefore, that real jealousy never can exist between them. Depend upon it that no disagreement between them can be of any duration. Their hearts are open to each other, as neither heart can be to you. They know exactly what is required and what can be borne, and you may be certain that one will never tease the other beyond what is known to be pleasant. Perceiving her still to look doubtful and grave, he added, Though Frederick does not leave Bath with us, he will probably remain but a very short time, perhaps only a few days behind us. His leave of absence will soon expire, and he must return to his regiment. And what will then be their acquaintance? The mess-room will drink Isabella Thorpe for a fortnight, and she will laugh with your brother over poor Tilney's passion for a month. Catherine would contend no longer against comfort. She had resisted its approaches during the whole length of a speech, but it now carried her captive. Henry Tilney must know best. She blamed herself for the extent of her fears, and resolved never to think so seriously on the subject again. Her resolution was supported by Isabella's behaviour in their parting interview. The Thorpe spent the last evening of Catherine's stay in Pulteney Street, and nothing passed between the lovers to excite her uneasiness or make her quit them in apprehension. James was in excellent spirits, and Isabella most engagingly placid. Her tenderness for her friend seemed rather the first feeling of her heart, but that at such a moment was allowable. And once she gave her lover a flat contradiction, and once she drew back her hand, but Catherine remembered Henry's instructions, and placed it all to judicious affection. The embraces, tears, and promises of the parting fair ones may be fancied. Hmm, that was short and sweet. Uh, so Catherine obviously is having a moment where she's noticing things. Um, and not liking what she's noticing. No, and she's seeing her brother is upset, but Tilney, so Henry's going to Henry going, please tell my brother not to, tell your brother to leave. And him going, look, they know best. They are the ones that are engaged. You can't know what's going on with them. They'll know what is and isn't tolerable and what is and isn't appropriate. And they have to. And if you believe that they are actually engaged, that's what you you need to believe in that engagement. I actually think that's. I mean, I agree. I think it's solid advice. I think you can't prevent uh, suffering uh, in that sense. Like you can prevent suffering in terms of your own behavior, but you can't prevent suffering by. By of behavior caused like suffering caused by behavior of independent individuals that have that are not you, like does that make sense? What I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, sticking your nose into other people's business rarely goes well. Yes, and I think that's what what Henry was also implying. Is like, do you think your brother will thank you for this? Like, mind your own, because in this case, you can have concerns and they might be valid, but you need to they need to determine for themselves what they will and will not accept. Um, 
And uh, I think, yes. I mean, I understand that there are people who, who wouldn't be able to do that, and I respect their choices and their approach. Just for me, I can relate to that I, I, in terms of, I think, I agree that if there's, if you're wanting to be supportive of a relationship that you see, that you are connected to, then be supportive of that relationship and, and show confidence and don't butt in unless you're literally asked for your support. Like if someone asks you, can you help, um, you know, be supportive towards our relationship by, um, you know, acting as a mediator and even then reflect on it and decide whether it's an appropriate thing for you to do. So there's a certain amount of one of the ways to support a relationship is to actually believe in them mm. as being able to. Otherwise, if you don't have confidence in their ability to be mature and actually have decisions amongst themselves, then you weren't confident in the relationship to begin with. Yeah. And um, I, th I think the um, desire to stick one's nose in the business is that we often with other people, it always seems very easy to see what their problems are and how to fix them. Um, but, you know, it's always infinitely harder to turn that uh, lens back to ourselves and see what mm -hmm. we need to improve upon. And even more, the idea that even though we can see what the problem is, and even though we think we have a solution to their problem, I'd say nine times out of ten, we're very wrong about that. It's. I think we try and problem-solve yes, one individual can obviously help and give perspective and you can, as an outside person, sometimes give perspective that is helpful, but it has to be invited and it has to be mm -hmm. wanted. Um, and it has to come from a place where you don't assume that you have all the answers and you have all the solutions because that's not, you don't know absolutely everything of what's going on. I think Henry does say like, I'm sure my brother knows how to make up his own mind. Like my brother knows what is motivating him. I can't know what's motivating him. Yeah. I could talk to him and suggest that he leaves, but then you're suggesting that their relationship depends on his leaving. And also there was, I think the undercurrent of you're also putting me in an awkward position to be talking to my brother about this. Yeah. Well, I think so, but I don't like, I think it was more just trying to say that you cannot fix everyone's situation. Let's click on this. There you go. You can't fix everyone else's situation. Um, persuasion is not at command. Like, I cannot endeavor to persuade him. Mm. You you can't... Like, he yeah, he knows what he is about and must be his own master. It's also the older brother. The younger brother saying anything is... Yeah. It, and, which, it, yeah. and especially when Catherine said, well, why didn't you talk to your father? And that's, like, one step worse. Yeah. Um, and... I think she's, it's interesting, I think Tilney's actually protecting her from his dad. Because mm. it was saying, when she was saying about the father, where is it? Was your father, in this amiable solicitude for your brother's comfort, may not you not be a little mistaken? I mean, yes, you could argue that he's talking down to her or trying to diminish her concerns, but he's not. He's saying, like, you don't know what's going on entirely. You only know what you're perceiving. Would he be appreciative of you getting involved? That is something you also don't know. And, and that, so, that point you just brought up, um, yeah. in the past, I have given Henry Guff for his mocking of Catherine and acting like he knows best. But yes, in this chapter, I felt none of that. I felt he was completely trying yeah. to help her. 
You could argue that, like, that's what I'm saying. People could argue why is he talking now? She knows better. He doesn't know. And she do- he doesn't claim to know the relationship between mm. her brother and herself. He's very careful. And he's saying, I don't know what they're doing, but neither do you. Mm. You might see things that are making you worried because you're seeing your brother's upset. And I don't doubt, like you saying, I don't doubt that you see that your brother's upset. But they are the ones who, I think he's basically saying they're grown ass people and they have, they're making these decisions and they have to be accountable for themselves. And um, one one thing that was not said, um, and I wonder if it was inferred, because sometimes I miss that stuff, but have you tried talking to your brother? Have you really tried talking to Isabella about this? Because to be fair, I, Catherine, Catherine has yeah. dropped hints to Isabella, but she hasn't outright basically asked her about this. Yeah, I think it hasn't... Um, yeah, I, like the fact that when she brought it up, I can have no opinion on that subject. When she says then do you not believe Isabella so very much attached to my brother? I can have no opinion on that subject because he doesn't know. Hmm. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, nay, if it is to be guesswork, let us all guess for ourselves. To be guided by secondhand conjecture is pitiful. The premise is before you. My brother is lively and perhaps sometimes thoughtless. Um, he's known your, your friend for a week. He's known her engagement since the beginning. So you may be able to guess your brother's intentions, but I can't. It's like, well, I'm sorry. You, that's because she lacks, uh, she's a little naive on this. Mm-hmm. And all these things like for supposing her affection, would he thank you for supposing her affection or in- behavior that is only secured by the absence of Captain Tilney? Because that's what she's implying. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, she. I don't think she realizes what she's saying. And she's probably like, hmm. There's some serious, he's very right because it does, it, you're adding doubt. Even what if all you're seeing is just social flirtation and even though your brother's uncomfortable with it and you're seeing that he's upset or discomforted, you don't know if it, what, what's going on between them. So it's best to not get involved in it. Um, but also when, if you do bring it up and it does become a thing, um, you might be creating doubt when none existed. And um, he also said that thing about how it's also be very sure about what you're um, noticing because, like, a, a an engaged man will have no problem with other men finding his fiance attractive. Yeah. But he will have a problem if his fiance starts flirting with other men. Yeah. And so that's the thing that that also like is is coming up. So yeah, it's she kind of went okay. Well, then they seem to be behaving at the end, like in at her goodbye, so I'm less stressed about it. Um, but there was little bits like James was in excellent spirits, Isabella was placid, um, and once she gave her lover a flat contradiction and once she drew back her hand, but then went, Oh, it's 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 not something that, that necess- like James is not is still not upset, so therefore it must be okay. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's a bit, you know. Like from an outsider reading the book, something's definitely going on here. Well, yes, maybe. There's well, we know they're 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 definitely flirting, and they're flirting fairly openly, which is a bit. Mm. And and it wasn't just that. Like what, um, the start of the chapter was like Catherine was remarking kind of on her whole behavior that her friend like has changed personality. And the way she and behaves in public. Yes, and it's like, and it's not as bad when she's with her friends, 
with her friends, she's just a little bit more whatever. Yeah, okay. Look, oh, look, I don't know. I kind of isn't paying attention. But then when she's in public, as soon as Tilney talks to her, she's she they're they're in, interacting and there seems to be like this teasing and flirting going on hmm. right in front of her brother. Yeah, no allowing him an almost equal share with James in her notice and smiles. It's it's too much of a, a change in behavior for her to not see it. So, and it's funny because we, we kind of have seen Isabella turn on a dime, but it seems Catherine's been a bit oblivious to that, even when it's happened in front of her. I mean, she's seen it, but she's not. it hasn't been something that affects people she loves. And she's hand-waved it away every time as well. Yes. But the one thing that's also happened is that she hasn't done... This is, notice she's upset or she's affected by it because she sees her brother is affected by it. Mm -hmm. It's affecting her brother. She doesn't mind as, I mean, she was upset when it was done to her, but it was kind of like, a lot of it you could um, put onto Thorpe, that Thorpe was maybe causing issues. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and also she didn't know enough to be sure that it was her fault or it wasn't her fault or like what, she's not as comfortable. She's getting better now. So at recognizing these things, maybe that's another thing. It's like she's growing up and she's learning what interaction is and what interaction is not necessarily appropriate. She didn't know, for example, you shouldn't go on a, a buggy ride. Mm. Yeah. Um, but she learned, uh, at least in this context, that it's not appropriate. But yes. So on that note, um, we shall look forward to next chapter. Yeah. I, I hope you've all enjoyed this time with us. It's, uh, we may not have been our usual high energy selves uh, because of the heat, because of the noise in the background, but we we hope you had a pleasant listen nonetheless. Yes. And music at the top of the podcast is Charlie Mould's Northanger Abbey that is played by the Regency players. Music at the end of the podcast, as always, is I Am The Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me on Twitter at Rumikmoo. Uh, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. And I'm over on Twitter at Dave the Turnip. That's Dave underscore the underscore Turnip. Uh, you can find our Facebook page and our podcast Twitter profile, both at SMBSLT Podcast. And if you would like to email us, it's SMBSLT Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear feedback on any platform about what you think of the pod what you think of the books uh, do you have a favorite book we've covered so far uh, do you have books you'd love to hear us read in the future we'd love to hear from you and on that note enjoy your books in the time that you have <laughs> <laughs> ominous goodbye <laughs> thanks you sound threatening <laughs>